our study leader Dave Ortson invites you to consider a lesson we can learn from a simpler time. A time when not even city folk could forget that the production of bread does not begin in a factory or drop out of heaven already packaged in plastic bags. Our biblical passage is Deuteronomy chapter 16, and Dave begins our discussion of the harvest festival called 50th, having a chat with several of the children in his church about all the different brands of bread they have to choose from just to make a peanut butter sandwich. Now just think about standing in a hypermart or a big Kmart or the, the big supermarket where you go and you stand right in front of all of these breads. And you start to look at this stuff, and they package it kind of like this. Like, here's Wonder Bread. And Wonder Bread's been with us since the time I was born. I always remember Wonder Bread, okay? So you look at Wonder Bread, and you got that. And if you don't like Wonder Bread, then you can try a little bit of Home Pride. Home Pride Bread. There it is, right there. And I don't have any Mrs. Baird's with me, so if you work for Mrs. Baird's, excuse me, but I couldn't find any. Or you can shift, you can even change the shape, and you can have David's Frankfurter Bund right there, okay? Now, if you're raised like I was back in New Jersey, you, you look at these supermarkets, and all this stuff is in plastic, and you don't make combinations. In other words, the idea is that you can just, any day of the week, any time that you're hungry... You can go down to the grocery store and you can pick up one of these plastic bags and then you can go home and if you're like, like me when I was a kid, you'd be watching football on Saturday afternoon and you would get the Hellman's mayonnaise and you would get one of these plastic bags and you would cover the bread with mayonnaise and you'd slap another piece of bread on top and you'd eat the whole loaf. Now, I don't recommend that because you'll be wider than you are tall if you do that, but... Uh, Basically, the plastic had the bread in it, and it just happened to be there anytime you wanted it, right? You have a big executive. He's working up in Dallas, or she's working up in Dallas, and she's real busy, or he's real busy at lunch looking at one of those spreadsheets on the computer. He gets on the horn to his secretary and says, bring me in a sandwich. And the, and the secretary does, and a nice big club sandwich comes in, and the guy wolfs it down, or the, the girl wolfs it down, and they don't give a thought to the fact of where the bread came from. And I want all the kids to think, where in the world does this bread come from? Does it come, drop out of the sky in a plastic bag with that red Wonder Bread stuff on it? Where does it come from? Where does this bread start? Bread? Starts with fuel? Oh, a field. Good, all right. I've got it. Good, that's right. It starts in a field. And what do we do? Brad, help me out a little bit. What do we do? What's this right here? All right, that's exactly right. That's some wheat seed, all right? So the farmer, like somebody like Kim, takes this and he scatters it out across the field, right? And sometimes they press it down. This year, I think Kim just scattered it out and let, let God press it in with some good rain. So we spread the seed around, and then what starts to happen, Brad? If the seeds push down the ground, then what has to happen? It has to grow. What makes it grow? It has to get water for it to grow. What else does it have to get? Sun. We have to have a, a very delicate combination of sun and water. What else do we need? We need some darkness as well. If we had just sun all the time, we wouldn't have any wheat. Now, just stop and think of it. How many of you can cause sun to shine? 
How many of you can go out and you can, you can say, now I would like it that sun to shine 8 hours and 15 minutes and 30 seconds today? Nobody can do it. So does the bread just automatically get here? Can the bread automatically get here? No. A very delicate balance. The seed has to be planted, and then the seed has to grow like Brad was just sharing with us. The seeds grow up, and they produce something like this. See, this is a little bit, you know, it's green when it comes out. But one of the most beautiful sights in our area is to drive through the, the agricultural lands and to be able to see one of these beautiful wheat fields, and it generates this. In the modern world, it's really easy for us to get away from what generates the loaf of bread. In the ancient world, it was hard to get away from that because they couldn't go to Hypermart and buy bread in plastic. They went through the process that Brad was reminding us of. Every one of their individual families just about would plant the seeds, see the wheat grow, then they would harvest the wheat, and they would do it by hand. They didn't do it with international harvesters. They would go out there by hand and with sickles, they cut down the wheat and they pile it up. You remember the story in Joseph's dream where they're collecting and doing the harvest and his sheath stands in the middle and the brother's sheath bows down to them. In our culture, that illustration wouldn't move you very much because we don't even know what a sheath is, but in their culture, they did. Now, what God made the children of Israel do, you see, in the beginning of April, about the middle of April, really, about April 14th, is when the barley harvest usually began in the land of Israel. Now, all of you that are farmers know that the date of a harvest maturing and the seed ripening and coming to fruition can vary with the temperature, it can vary with the climate, varies with the rainfall and the sunshine. But an average would be about the middle of April in the land of Israel, the promised land, they would begin their barley harvest. Now, when we were studying together about the Passover, the Passover was related to the barley harvest And on the second day, after they celebrated the Passover, the next day, they would begin a feast that I called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And on that feast day, that second day of Passover, they would bring their first fruit of the barley harvest. This isn't barley, but it's wheat. But they would bring the first fruit of that barley harvest, and they would present it before the Lord. The very first barley they received from their field which was a foretaste, a precursor of all the harvest that would come, they would bring and give it as a gift in the temple before the Lord. Then they would count off seven weeks. They celebrated this feast of unleavened bread for seven days, and then they would all go home. And they would all go back and do what some of you do in the summertime. They worked hard in the sun. They prayed for the rain. And about seven weeks later, in the land of Israel, the wheat harvest would start to come into fruition. And God would have them do the same thing he had them do with the barley harvest, only this time it would be the completion of the wheat harvest. And the combines would be through in the field, only they did it by hand. They would have their wheat in. They would now be able to make bread for another year. And this time God would have them bring not this kind of unproductive wheat that is in its unfinished form, they would have the wives in Israel make a loaf of bread, not in plastic containers like we have here, but a bread loaf like this. And every one of you wives, if you were Jewish living back in the Old Testament, would make two loaves of bread from the first fruit of your wheat harvest. 
and you would all journey to Jerusalem and your husband would carry the wheat, these two loaves of bread. Isn't that nice? He would carry those two loaves of bread and you would go in in mass with all of your families and all of your relatives and you would go into the temple and you would offer the first loaves of bread as the first fruit offering. Now you also offered some bulls, you offered a full-grown ram, you offered seven ewe lambs or a year-old lamb, and then you would offer one goat as an expiation sacrifice. And once again, you would celebrate. And this feast was called the second feast day of Israel, the second major time that all of Israel had to get together. It was called the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Harvest, and you know it as the Feast of Pentecost. Because it was celebrated seven weeks after the second day of Passover. Turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Remember the chapter began telling us about the Feast of Passover. Now we look at verse 9. Let's read about the Feast of Seven Weeks. Pentecost just means the 50th in Greek. And it comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament because in the book of Leviticus, it told the children of Israel to celebrate this feast of the culmination of the wheat harvest 50 days after that second day of Passover. Now look at verse 9. Count off seven weeks from the time that you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. That would be the beginning of the barley harvest. Then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God. I want you to notice, all the kids, what did God say to do? Then what? Tell me real loud. Then? Then, real loud. Celebrate. It's the very first thing I want you to get about this harvest festival. God told the children of Israel, when the work is done... When the fields have been harvested, the wheat has been gathered into the barn, it is time to celebrate. I want you to celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God. So where is our celebration directed towards? To the Lord our God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. And I want you to... Tell me. Tell me again. I want you to... Rejoice. Good. The kids yelled at that time. Good. Before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and your daughters, your men servants and your maidservants, the Levites in your towns and the aliens, the fatherless and the widows living among you. So we can't leave anybody out. Everyone needs to celebrate and everybody needs to rejoice. And you are to remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. The first thing I want you to notice about the Feast of Pentecost, it was a time of tremendous rejoicing. Now, as you got up this morning, you might not have felt like this is a day that I want to rejoice in. In other words, some days I get up and I'm not sure I want to celebrate. I'm not sure I want to rejoice. But one of the things that I believe that God wants his children, both in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant, to enter into is what it means to celebrate and rejoice. How many of you had a piece of toast at least for breakfast this morning? Then you can rejoice. 
Did you get up today and say, man, life is a real bummer. Life is terrible. I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I've got a headache. I've got a foot ache. Um, I think I'm going to lose my job. How many of you had at least a loaf, a, a piece of toast? Not the whole loaf, but at least a piece of toast. The secret of life is to learn to realize the incredible miracle when you sit there with a piece of Mrs. Baird's bread. Now, very few of us do that. You know, you just pop it in and burn it and cover it with, with cream cheese or butter, and then you just wolf it down. The secret of life, the secret of life is to begin by the Spirit of God working your heart for you to begin to realize the miracle that's happening constantly in your life. A loaf of bread is a miracle. None of you can produce these seeds. None of you know how to make these things. No scientist. When I was a chemistry major, we never manufactured these things. We jumped right from chemistry to biology, and we did all kinds of chemical reaction and everything else. But I got news for you. When I moved from chemistry to biology, they started talking to me about these seeds, and we looked at them under microscopes, but I never manufactured one of these seeds. And they still haven't done it yet. Packed in every one of these seeds is a world of life, a world of explosive fertility that produces a hundredfold, a thousandfold. It's incredible what happens. It generates this, and then we can harvest that, and we can produce this, and then we eat it, and we live. And it's a miracle. And you need to rejoice. It'll change your life when you learn to say, This is incredible. What a miracle. I just ate a piece of toast. And God caused the children of Israel to realize this is really the truth. We live today because of this miracle of the gift. And that's why God made them when the harvest was in, when the harvest was complete, God made the children of Israel come down. And as they came down and celebrated, they would read passages. Turn back to Genesis chapter 8. Some of the passages that the moms and dads would remind their kids of is one of the passages back in Genesis chapter 8 about harvest time and planting time and about rain. Look at chapter 8, verse 22. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. As long as the earth endures, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? How many of you have experienced seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, and it just comes like clockwork? And you know what God promises? Until he destroys this world with the next universal judgment, which 2 Peter tells us will be by fire, God promises us that every nitroid will come on the Channel 8 News and he will be able to tell us, and then there will be another meteorologist that will do it. He'll be able to say the sun came up at a certain time and the sun went down at a certain time. And there's going to be a 30% chance of rain and it might be 60% other times. There's going to be rainy days. There's going to be cloudy days. There's going to be moisture-filled days. There's going to be dry days. There's going to be seed time and harvest. There's going to be this rhythm of the seasons. 
And one of the things, the very first thing I want to get across to you today is you might not be filled with joy and celebration today, but you can be. Because every one of you, you're able to eat bread. And the fact that you can eat bread is a miracle. It's a gift of the Lord. And it should cause you to have a skip in your step. And what I want you to realize is that the Lord God of heaven is the one that made his people remember these things. He caused them to remember that he is the author of the seed time and harvest, the day and night, the sun and the rain, and he generates the crops. You say, Dave, what does that have to do with any of us? You see, we need, as God's people under the New Testament, to to partake of all the joy and all the celebration of God's people. One of the things that I've noticed is that in our own modern culture, in a lot of ways, the secular culture has taken over the party celebrating time. I mean, if we talk honestly for a minute, most of you do not think of coming to gather together with a group of believers to go to church as being a real party time. Most of you think of, I need to get away from that church stuff. You know, I need to get out there with with my other friends. And that's where we learn to celebrate. That's where we learn to rejoice. And that's why the church loses from about 18 to about 28. They lose almost that whole generation until those 18-year-olds grow up and produce kids. They have some children and say, hey, man, we need to get them back in church. A whole lot of those 18 to 28-year-olds move away from God, move away from being with his people, move away from learning about him. You know why? Because they never learned that God was the author of celebration. They never learned that God was the author of rejoicing. As they gathered together with God's people, many times there was only only crying. And there was only sorrow. There was sometimes there was only rigidity and all kinds of rules and regulations. And God's people many times have forgotten what it means to have a great harvest festival. The first thing I want to get across to you today is I believe that God can use some of you that have what I call the gift of partying. You have the gift of organizing, the gift of knowing how to get people together, the gift of knowing how to bring people together to have a good time. And you know what I believe will be one of the greatest outreaches into our community? It's when we as a group of believers learn to do some parties that are so much fun that the unbelievers want to be with us. And and it's the kind of party and fun time and celebrating time that's clean and wholesome, but it's such a good time that an unbeliever feels at home and doesn't feel like they have to do something really strange, and we can have a harvest celebration. The next time we get together, we're going to talk about the fall feast, the harvest celebration in Israel. But today, we started out with an April feast... And then God let him work for seven weeks. And then he says, time out. It's like God blows the whistle again, blows the whistle and says, time out again. You need to party again. And then he lets them go through the heat of summer, lets them move into the fall. Then he blows the time out whistle again and says, you need to celebrate again. You know why? Because God is the God of rejoicing. He's the God of celebration. He's the God that gives the seed time and he gives the harvest and then he wants you to take a break and rejoice. 
I really want to speak to some of you. Some of you have forgotten how to harvest and then celebrate. Some of you are always planting. Some of you are always harvesting. Some of you can never relax on a holiday. You can never get away from your work. Your phone has made it worse. Those stupid mobile phones, you carry them around like Peter Pan. Remember Robin Williams and that stupid phone? What a, what a great insight into the modern culture. You know, here he is carrying this phone. He goes to his, he misses his son's ball game. And then the stupid phone is ringing at crucial, crucial times. Some of you have really gotten into that. The generation below me, you all are really into that. You've got so much technology, you never get away from your work. You used to at least be able to get away from your work driving to work. Now you do it all on the way. And you think you're really a power person. You're going to wear out. You're going to be totally exhausted. You're going to be 28 and a half years old, and we're going to have to go visit you in a rest home because you're going to need rest. Why do you do that? Why can't you ever... When I'm speaking about I'm speaking about that attitude in your heart. Can you just, like on, your, on, on one of your kids' birthdays, guys and girls, can you just stop and forget all about your work and just have a good time? Can you play games? Can you just have a good time? Really important to do that. And the very first thing this passage is saying is, the Lord God of heaven says... I demand that my Old Testament people party in April, May, April, and then I want them to do it again in June, and then I want them to go through the heat of the summer, we're going to learn the next time we get together, I want you to do it again in the fall. You know why? Because you desperately need that. Every one of you is built to plant seed, to let God bring the blessing, let him pour water on it, let him put sunshine on it, let it grow, and then to work really hard to have the sweat pouring off you, whether it be in academic work, whether it be in computer work, whether it be in cement work, whether it be in, in anything you can imagine, you let the sweat pour out, off you, you put in long hours, but then you harvest and then you stop and you rejoice and you celebrate and you learn to get together with friends and just have an incredible good party. A good time. That's the first thing I want you to see from this passage. God gave the gift of the land. In fact, if you want to read what the children of Israel said, you can read it in Deuteronomy chapter 26. It's a marvelous moving passage where the, the godly dad in Israel would bring his two loaves with his family to the priest at the temple of Jerusalem, and then he would review all of his salvation history. And he would go back over the work of God in their life, and they would rejoice and thank God for that. They would present the first fruit of their harvest by, and express that the Lord had brought material prosperity. Under the new covenant, we can rejoice for the material prosperity the Lord has given to us. I wrote down Philippians 4.19 for you. And my God, look at this verse. Are you worried today? You're so uptight you can't rejoice. And my God will meet all your needs according to the rewards that my servants deserve because of their giftedness, because of their discipline, and because of their hard work. And I will be very careful to make sure that it all works out fair. You see what God says, I will supply. God promises, I will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. 
Now, what, what do you think God's glorious riches are? You know, this is an incredible thing when you get a hold of this. You know, God really owns it all. One of the neat things is I can sing all the songs that I sang when I was a kid, and I can just change the rhythm a little bit, and they're brand new modern contemporary songs. We sang a song on Wednesday night. No one ever had heard of it before. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He owns the rivers and the rocks and the hills, the sun and stars that shine. Wonderful riches, more than tongue could ever tell. He is my father. Now get this. So they're mine as well. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now get this. I know that he will take care of me. As a little kid, that's what my Sunday school teacher sang over and over again with us yelling in Awana and Sunday school. But what a thought. That's what is being expressed in Philippians. The Lord says, I will meet all of your needs according to my riches and glory. Now, today, are you worried so that you can't have a good time, so you can't let go, so you can't ever get rid of that tightness that makes you have stomach ulcers and your heart rhythm gets out of whack and you have headaches and you can't go to sleep at night and then you, you can't wake up in the morning because you're always under that stress. God says, I will supply all of your needs according to your riches and glory. And when you learn to open up that Wonder Bread and put it in the toaster and say, what a miracle today! Incredible! God gave me a, a piece of bread to eat and it's a total miracle from heaven. Then you'll learn to relax. Relax. 